Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, and the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive, and tomorrow thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, We cannot always trace God's hand, but we can always trust God's heart. We can't always see what God is doing, but we can trust him. And know that he will do what is best. The fact of the matter is we can trust God no matter what's happening. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Trusting God in all circumstances. Even the most difficult ones. Even when things don't make sense to us at all. And the reality is, things right now don't seem to make a lot of sense. Because right now it seems like the whole world is weird. It seems like everything is upside down. The entire world seems to be shutting down around us. And no one seems to know where it's going to end. No one can tell us. No one knows what the long-term effects of what's happening around us will be. We're in uncharted territory. The entire world around us has gone mad, it seems. And people all around us are fearful and they're worried and they're panicking. People are losing their jobs. People are having their entire life savings evaporate because the stock market is shifting wildly from day to day. Grocery store shelves are bare. And everyone's afraid of human contact. In fact, I saw a video of a doctor in another country where he came home and his little boy, like four years old, comes running up to him with his arms wide open and the dad backs up and holds his hand out to tell him to stop. And the little boy drops his shoulders and then he, the dad, kneels down and starts crying because of the fear of the germs getting from his son to him, or vice versa. Everything is so strange, and people are deeply, deeply concerned. And we have 
we've all become keenly aware of the fact that we do not know what tomorrow will hold. We don't know. Just a couple of weeks ago, if you would have said to me, Sherman, we're going to shut the schools down, I would have said, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. How is that even possible that we would do that? And now they're even talking about maybe not even starting the schools back up at all until fall. Our clothes still remain closed. Freeways are empty. And people are, are very aware of the fact that they don't know what tomorrow holds. Right? And, and we're even more aware of the fact that we're really not in control of anything. Whatever illusion of control we thought we had is now gone. And people around us are beginning to experience more and f- more fear and anxiety. And, and many people are asking very troubling questions. Like, am I going to be okay? Are my children going to be healthy? Am I still going to have a job tomorrow? Am I going to be able to pay all my bills? Is my mom going to be okay? I can't even go see her. Am I doing enough to protect my family and, my, and myself? And these questions then are leading to even bigger, deeper questions like, God, are you even there? Do you really actually love me? Are you going to help me get through this? Can I, can I trust you? Can you really save someone like me? Because I'm scared. These are the growing fears and anxieties of many people around us, even many in our church family. Right? That's why we've taken the time to pause our series in Mark and spend some time together looking at these questions and what the Bible has to say. We're going to look at the scriptures to see what the Bible says about trusting God in times like this. Trusting God when the rest of your life and all the circumstances seem to be saying to you, no, you can't trust him. God isn't in control. No one is. And over the next few years, we're, next few weeks, excuse me, we're going to be talking about trusting God when even it doesn't make sense. Now, last week we started talking about trusting God to save us in spite of us. We, we talked about the fact that God has the power, that God has the power that God has the power to rescue those who trust in him. God has the power to save even the worst of us, even though we're prone to make a mess of things. We learned that we can trust God to save us because he is sovereign and in control, and because he is trustworthy and faithful, and because he is compassionate and, and loves us because he chose to love us. We can trust God to finish what he has started in us and to to save us. Today we're going to look at what it means to trust God when when we find ourselves in great need. Because let's face it, if there is anything that, that, that can distract us from God, it is this fact that we can be in need. If there's anything at all that can distract us, is for us to be in need. If there's anything at all that can take our eyes away from God, is, is when we feel ourselves having felt needs. And I think we've all been there before. I think we've all experienced great need. We've all, at one point in our lives or another, 
been in deep need. We've all seen what it's like to be lacking. We all know what it's like to be broke at some point. There are many times in my life I've been so broke where I've said, I'm so broke I can't even pay attention. I personally know what it's like to be in need, and as do most of you. In fact, so many of you and, and so many of those around you are in great need right now. There are people around us who need groceries. There are people around us that need toilet paper. There are people around us that need gas money. There are people who need us or that need to fix their cars, but they don't have enough money to actually make the repairs. There are people who have, have unexpected doctor bills. There are people who, who are missing some time from work because of this stay-at-home order, and their incomes are dropping, and they're beginning to fall behind on their bills. Some people have even now been laid off, and they can't even go find any more work. Why? Because they can't even leave the house. I think we all know what it's like to be in need. And we, 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 we see it all around us. And what's even more complicated is we live in a community surrounded by lots of people who were already in need before this even happened. Brother Aaron, I mean, Brother Matt and Sister Aaron were already feeding people regularly at the blessing box. And now that need has grown even greater. In fact, I helped um, uh, some of them bring some more food to the, the pantry and they were just blown away by the fact they made one advertisement that they had some extra food. And it was amazing how many people showed up for things like broccoli and, and baby carrots. People around us are in desperate need. Not to mention every week people call the church and they stop by the church asking for help with things like gas money. Or, or looking for a ride to, for a doctor's appointment. Or to get a ride to, to Cal City to pick up medication. Some people are looking for for you know, a ride to get groceries. People are asking for others to help pay utility bills that they're behind on. And unfortunately, we can't take care of all those things. Sometimes we have to turn people away because there's too much to deal with. And, and there's a lot of people in need in our community. And that need continues to grow because of this crisis. And most of us can relate to this because we have, we've all ourselves been in need. But the troubling part about being in need, the distraction is that it tends to become the dominant thought in your life. It tends to become the dominant theme in your life. It tends to consume us because it's hard to concentrate. It is hard to, to think about anything else when you're broke. It is, when, when you have felt needs, it's hard to be optimistic about the future. It's hard to think about other things when you're struggling to, to feed your family it's hard to concentrate when your stomach's growling. When Kim and I uh, first moved to Boron, it was during the height of the, the reception um, that started basically in 2007. And we chose to move to Boron because we wanted to situate our lives in such a way that we could simplify things so that I could actually uh, begin my education and concentrate on following the call that God had placed on my life to go into ministry. And when we... Before we moved, we had it all planned out, that we were going to move here, and I was going to get a job quickly, and then we're just going to keep going on with our same lifestyle that we had before. But after moving here, I found that it was that getting, getting uh, work in this community during the recession was a lot harder than I had expected. And that was really, really a strange thing for me, because I've always been able 
to get work really quick. I've always been able to work. I've never been unemployed for very long in my life. But for some reason, things were, were not working out the way that I expected or hoped. And our savings began to really dry up fast. And we began to feel real need. We were in serious financial trouble. And I began to worry. And I began frustrated. And I began to wonder and, and doubt what God was doing in my life. And, and the fact is, I knew that God had brought me here. I knew that God was the one who was calling me to ministry. And I knew that Boron was where he wanted us to be. But I just kept wondering, why is this so hard? And then I began to feel like a failure. Because I've always taken it serious. To, it was a serious business for me to take care of my my adult, my, t- take care of my family. And all my adult life, I've always been able to do that. And my thoughts began to be consumed with the fact that we were in such deep need and that we were financially hurting so bad. And so it was a scary time for us. And, 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 and in those days, it just became a time where God was dealing with my heart to actually begin to really trust in him. Trusting in God during a time of need He helped me to see that I was not trusting in him to take care of me. I was was trusting in me. And and the challenge in my own life was, is will I actually then sell out and do what God was calling me to do and follow where he was leading and trust him even when things were hard? Will I trust him when it doesn't seem like the sun is ever going to come up again? Will I trust God when it doesn't make any sense at all? Now you have to know, that things like this, like so many other things, this is not a new issue. Trusting God when things are really difficult is not new to modern-day Christians. This is something that every generation has had to face from the very beginning. How can I trust God when I am real in desperate need? And not just how can I trust God, but how can I live for God the way that he's calling me to live for him? How can I live for him when I struggle with just everyday needs. In fact, the the big question is this. If I choose God as my master and place my value and my worth and my source of security in heaven, then who's going to take care of me here on earth? If I devote myself to focus on God and his kingdom, who is going to make sure I have what I need to live my life here on earth? That's really the question. That is the question that we were wrestling with here and now. And that is the question that people have been wrestling with from the very beginning, especially when things are hard. Because when you are in need, it's hard to think about anything else. When you're desperate in need, it's easy to be consumed by your fears and your worries and your anxieties. And like I said, this isn't anything new. In fact, this is such an important issue that Jesus, God in the flesh, deals with this issue in this text today. So again, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be reading, begin reading in verse 25. And what I want to do before we actually get into the text is I just want to tell you right up front what the point of this text is. And the point of this text is this. Jesus is calling everyone who believes in him to rise to the challenge to trust God daily in every situation, regardless of what the circumstances are. That is the point, that we are the rise of the occasion. We are to rise to the challenge of trusting God every single day, regardless of the situation or circumstances we find ourselves in. That is the point, because that's what we're called to do. That's what faith is. 
trusting God in every situation and in every circumstance, regardless of how things look from the outside. The Bible says, as we talked about last week, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We're to trust God with all that we are. We're to trust God with every part of our life, every single day, regardless of our circumstances. That is the point that Jesus is making here. Now with that, let's take a look at the text. Verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's how the ESV renders the text. Another translation says, Do not be worried about your life. Another one says, Do not be solicitous for your life. Another one says, Do not be careful about your life. You see, this phrase in the text here that we translate to be anxious has a wide range of meanings. It can certainly mean worried, and it can certainly mean to be concerned. It can also mean to be thoughtful or to give thought to something. And what Jesus is saying is not to be worried about your life, not to be concerned. Don't spend too much time thinking about it. Do not be anxious about your needs. Instead, trust in God is what Jesus is getting at here. Because when you worry about things like this, when you are anxious about your life and your needs, the truth is you're probably not trusting in God. In fact, Jesus says later on, do not be worried about these things because even the Gentiles or unbelievers worry about these things. Unbelievers worry about their lives and the needs that they have in their lives. Why? Because they don't have God to rely on. They have no other alternative except to worry. So Jesus says, do not be anxious, do not be worried. Do not be concerned about those things. Now one of the things that we need to understand is being anxious and being concerned is not always a bad thing. It seems like it is to us, but it's really not. It it, it really comes down to the context. There are occasions when being concerned is a good thing. There are times that being concerned is good. Such as when we have concerns or when we have worry about the welfare of other people. The Christian life is about loving God and loving other people. And we are called to care for the welfare of others. And so when we see someone who is struggling in need, being concerned and worrying about their welfare is actually a good thing. In fact, we are all concerned right now. Every one of us are concerned about our families. We're concerned about our community members. And that's a good thing. We should be concerned about the needs of others. It's also good to be concerned about the lost. I think that if if you're a Christian, if there's one thing to be concerned about, it's that. When you look out into the world and you see the culture itself is turning its back on God and there are still really literally billions of people who have not turned to Christ and there are millions of people who have not even heard the gospel yet, that should be of great concern to you. That's a good concern to have. That's a good burden to feel. It's good to feel concern for those who do not know Christ. I would go so far to say is it's a good worry It's good to worry and feel anxious about the lost, in a sense. Because think about this. People who die without Christ, regardless of what their families might want to believe, those who die without Christ do not go to a better place. 
They're not in a better situation. Things only get worse from there. They will stand before a holy and righteous God, covered up in all of their sins, and God will judge them and pronounce them to be guilty, and they will, cast, they will be cast into hell for all eternity. And millions of people are dying every day who do not have a relationship with Christ. That means millions of people step off into eternity to only find that the worst is waiting for them. And if that prospect doesn't cause you to have at least a little bit of concern, if that doesn't cause you to worry a little bit for them, then you might not really understand the gospel. You might not really understand what's at stake. You might not really even love your fellow man the way you thought you did. Because hell is a horrible prospect for anyone to face. And worse, it's unnecessary. Because Christ died for our sins so we could be saved. So you should be concerned about the lost. And you should have a certain anxiety about that. And it should drive you to share the gospel. So the fact is, it's good to be concerned about the lost. It's good to be concerned about international missions. It's good to be concerned about feeding the poor. It is good for you to be concerned about making sure your own children really understand and know who Christ is. And so the idea of concern and anxiety isn't always a bad thing. So what makes it bad? What is it that, that makes worry and concern and anxiety wrong in the life of the Christian? Well, they're wrong when, first of all, they're misdirected. Or in other words, worrying about things that you shouldn't really worry about. Worrying about things that, that you really have no control over. There are people who actually worry that an asteroid is going to hit our planet. I actually know somebody that I just talked to just the other day that has great concern about this. He watched a YouTube video where, where someone was speculating about an asteroid that's going to hit the Earth at some point soon, and he was very anxious about it. And he asked me, could it happen? And I said, sure. Anything can happen, right? I'm not God. Anything can happen. But why worry about it? Because here's the thing. What are you going to do about it? Nothing, right? And what is your worry and your concern going to accomplish between now and then if it does happen? Nothing. It won't stop it. It won't fix it. It won't change it. Right? If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, and that kind of worry and concern is really misdirected. It's just, it, it will suck the life right out of you. Worry and concern and anxiety are also wrong when it's in the wrong proportion. And I think that we all know something about that, Right? How many of you have ever been so worried and so concerned about something that you could even hardly function? You couldn't even eat? Couldn't sleep? You're so worried that you buy 55 cases of toilet paper at Costco. You're so concerned and anxious that you can't even do your job. You're so consumed by worry that all you can do is think about what you're worried about. It consumes your life. That is when worry is way out of proportion. When it consumes you, worry is wrong and misdirected when, when it's out of proportion. But, but most importantly, concern and worry and anxiousness go very wrong when your concern and your worries reveal that you have a real lack of trust for God. There comes a point in when, when your concern isn't a reflection of how much you care about something. It's a reflection of the fact that you lack trust in the one who can actually take care of anything. 
And that's really what Jesus is driving at here. You see, he's not saying don't have concerns for your life at all. Because you need on some level to be concerned about your life and your own well-being. You need to take care of yourself. We're called to be responsible. We're called to be good stewards of the things that God has given us. And he's given us our lives and our bodies. We should have a certain amount of concern for those things. So he's not saying that you don't have any concern at all for your life. Instead, what he's saying is don't let those concerns get out of proportion. Don't let taking care of yourself become something that dominates your entire life. You shouldn't let worry and concern about your life and your needs overwhelm you. He's saying, don't let concern be rooted in your lack of trust in God. Don't let the root of your anxieties about your needs to be the fact that you just don't trust for God to do what he said he's going to do. That's what Jesus means when he says, don't be anxious about your life. Now, what does he mean when he says life? He says, don't be anxious for your life. What is he talking about here? Right? He means, in this context, your basic Essential needs. Right, he's talking about your basic living. Jesus says, when, don't worry about your life. He's talking about basic needs. He says in the text here, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life right, and what you will eat and what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Jesus is simply talking about your basic survival needs. He's talking about food. He's talking about water. He's talking about clothing. And he's saying, don't worry about those things. Don't get twisted up worrying about those things. He's saying, don't let yourself be overly concerned about your basic needs. Don't allow yourself to get so consumed with worry that you begin hoarding resources, thinking that you're going to be able to have enough stuff on your own that you can take care of your own needs. Instead, what you should do is get busy serving and trusting God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now at that time, actually at, at a time like this, when you hear something like that, it might even seem counterintuitive. If you're not a Christian, you might think, that's just crazy. At a time like, like this, when everyone's hoarding stuff, like the world's going to end tomorrow, and there are people who believe that, right? it seems strange for us not to worry about our basic needs. It seems strange that we shouldn't worry about those, but trust God and, and serve him instead. But understand, these words were even more radical then than they are even today. Jesus saying to not worry was crazy to people like that in the first century. Because they lived in a time when people were desperately, desperately poor. I mean, we're talking about well over 90% of the population were desperately poor. Even the rich weren't as, as well off as even what people are considered poor here. They were desperately poor. And the vast majority of people spent most of their time during their day doing one thing, looking to find a way to provide for their daily needs. They were worried about having enough money and resources to eat and feed their family. They weren't worried about buying an Xbox. They were not worried about putting a new tire on the trailer so they can go on vacation. They were not worried about having enough food in the freezer so they don't have to drive to Lancaster and face the crowds at Costco or Walmart right now. They were not worried about having enough for next week. They were worried about what they needed today. 
Everyday life was about getting up in the morning and getting to work in order to make enough money to provide for your basic needs, food, food water, and clothing. Not even shelter, right? Food, water, and clothing. Because they didn't, if you didn't have those things, you were actually in very real danger. People literally starved to death. We live in a country, praise the Lord, that people aren't starving to death. They might be hungry. Sometimes they might even be malnourished, but people are not starving to death. And Jesus was saying to those people in that context, don't be anxious about these things. Don't be concerned about these things to the point that that, that's all that you live for. Don't let these concerns of yours get out of proportion. And certainly don't allow your worry over these things to cause you not to trust God to provide for you. Don't let these things keep you from following him. Don't, Don't let these things keep you from serving him. And making him the master of your life. He says you need to trust God to take care of you. And then he tells them why they can trust God. He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. They don't have savings accounts. They don't have grocery stores. And they're not running around trying to get ahead. They don't even worry about what they're going to eat tomorrow. They just eat for today. God takes care of them. God feeds them. And then he asks a really important question. It's actually a controversial question for today. And that is, are you not of more value than they? And the answer is, even though it's not popular with the rest of the world, the answer is, yes, of course you are. Mankind is the crowning achievement of all God's creative work. Mankind is created in the image of God, and he is more valuable than the birds. And if God will feed them, he will more feed us. By the way, mankind is more valuable than any animal. Period. And then he asks, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? How many of you can make yourself live longer by worrying? Actually, you can make yourself live less by worrying, right? How many of you can add an inch to your, to your height by worrying? A lot of short people around here proves that that won't happen. None of you can do that. And why are you anxious about your clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, like yesterday's trash, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, which is really the issue. The issue isn't the fact that we have needs. The issue is trusting God. Do you allow your immediate physical needs to squelch your trust in God? He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall you drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, we can spend a whole month of Sundays talking about these last few verses here, But I want you to notice in this section that Jesus gives us three reasons why we shouldn't worry, but instead trust God. I mean, there's more than three, but there's three I want to focus on. And the first one is God's sovereignty. That's where we were last week, and we come right back to it. God has the ability to take care of all of his creatures, which means he has the ability to take care of you. 
God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And He's completely and totally in control. And He can and He does meet the need of all of His creatures. That's why He said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your Father, Heavenly Father feeds them. God feeds the birds even though they don't concern themselves with their deeds. He's the one that takes care of them. And then he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God is even faithful to provide a beautiful covering for the grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow. I mean, look in the desert right now. Here in springtime, in the desert, there's beautiful flowers everywhere. If God will provide covering for this dry, arid, brown ground, how much more will he provide for you? God is sovereign, and he has the power and the ability to take care of all of his creation, which means he has the power and ability to take care of you. That's a great reason by itself. That's by itself is enough to trust in God, the fact that he is sovereign. And the second reason you can trust in God is because of his trustworthiness. God is trustworthy by very definition. We talked about this week that God is faithful. It's, it's in his nature. It's who he is. And he promises to provide for your daily need. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all of these things. All of your basic needs, food, water, and clothing, will be added to you. They'll be given to you. God promises to take care of those who follow him. And the one, one of the things to understand, one of the things that we must just remember as Christians very clearly, is God keeps his promises. In fact, that's what the resurrection tells us very clearly. The resurrection, Jesus' resurrection of the dead, is proof that Jesus is what he claimed to be, and that he, it is proof that he, we can trust him to do what he promised to do. And he promised not only to save us from our sins and the wrath of God, he has promised to always be with us. And to never leave us or forsake us. And he's promised to provide, us, provide for us and to take care of us. So we can trust God because he has the ability to take care of us. He has promised to take care of us. And then third, the third reason is because of his compassion. God is compassionate. I think the thing that you need to hear today is that God loves you. I don't know if you've really spent some time thinking about that or just have come back to that place where you have really given that much thought, but God, the creator of all things, loves you. The infinite, holy God who, whose ways are unsearchable individually loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he crushed his own son to save you. The apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? God loves you. And the Bible says he demonstrates his love for you. And because God loves you, he has promised to take care of you. And he knows what you need. He knows. Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father, notice this, your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Think about that. God already knows what you need. 
Before you even ask, He knows. God knows you intimately. He knows everything there is to know about you, every detail of your life, even every hair on your head. And for some of you, that's a bigger deal than, than it is for me. God loves you, and He knows you, and He knows what you need, and that kind of knowledge should tell you that He loves you. Because how do you really know? How do you really know what someone needs unless you're intimately aware of what's going on with them? I know my children, and I know the things that they need because I love them. God knows you, and He knows what you need. He's compassionate toward you. And so you can trust God to take care of you when, when you're in deep need because God has the power to take care of you. He's promised to take care of you, and He loves you enough to take care of you. So don't worry, and don't obsess and freak out when things are hard like they are right now. When you're struggling to make your car payment, when you're struggling to scrape enough together in the pantry, when, when you're struggling enough to, to, to pay the unexpected doctor bills, when you're struggling with the news that the virus just keeps spreading, don't be anxious, but trust in God. Especially don't allow yourself to worry to the point that you don't have time to spend with Him or to serve Him or to contribute to His kingdom. Don't be anxious. Don't worry when, when you're in need. Trust in the one who's in control. Trust in the one who can take care of you. Trust in the one who can do anything about your situation, even when it doesn't make any sense. Now that we've looked at what the Bible says about this, how do we live this out? What does it mean to live this out in our own lives? Well, it means... We're to trust God in every conceivable possible way. That's what it means. Whether the sun is shining or the rain is pouring, we still trust in God. Whether we have more than what we need or we're just barely scraping by, we continue to trust in God. We trust in God in every possible way, with every facet of our life. We trust in God with our families. We trust in God with our finances. We trust, trust God with our, our jobs. We trust God with what is happening right now. We are to trust in God in everything that we have and all that we are. We are to completely and totally trust him even when it seems that the world is stacked against us. That's what it means. It also means for us to focus our lives on the kingdom of God. The focus of our lives must be God's kingdom. This is the part that many people want to want to forget about or they don't understand. Trusting God isn't simply about having about you living your little happy life as if as if God is your your cosmic butler who's here to help you whenever you want something from him. We are saved not to live for ourselves. We are saved to get busy spreading the kingdom of God. I want you to notice what, what, he, what Jesus says very clearly. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is super important for us. Once you put your hope in Christ, once you trust in God to save you, the focus of your life is supposed to change. It's not supposed to about, be about you anymore. It's about his kingdom. It's about, it's about God. God didn't save you so you could just simply live, to, live a cleaned up version of your old life. He saved you to live a radically different kind of life. He didn't save you so that you can live self-centered 
With your own interest, he saved you to be an ambassador for his kingdom. He saved you to bring glory to his name and hope to the hopeless. And brothers and sisters, that is what the world around us needs right now. The world doesn't need, the world's greatest need isn't this stimulus package that's going to cost our great-grandchildren dearly as the years go by. The world's greatest need isn't more medical resources. The world's greatest need isn't more toilet paper. The world's greatest need isn't more social distancing. The world's greatest need is the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. God saved you and me to share that hope. Paul tells us in in Roman, I mean, excuse me, in um, in Ephesians. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship, created for a purpose. We were saved to spread the kingdom of God. You were saved to make a difference. You were saved to become part of the solution, not the problem. You were saved to be an instrument in the hands of of Almighty God. That's why we we say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what it means. But, but, But all of this ultimately means this. If we will sell out for God and his kingdom, he will make sure we lack nothing for life and for mission. That's the promise. If we put God first, if we will make, we, he will make sure you have everything you need to do what he's calling you to do. You see, trusting God isn't simply about only having confidence in him and depending upon him and being vulnerable in his hands. Trusting God is also about making him the priority of your life. It is about making him the center of your life. Trusting in God is about prizing him and cherishing him above all things. Trusting God is about adopting the attitude of, yes, Lord, So when he calls you to repent, you say, yes, Lord. When he calls you to serve, you say, yes, Lord. When he says, it's time to grow, you say, yes, Lord. When he says, depend upon me, yes, Lord. When he calls you to trust the fact that he's going to take care of you and all your needs, you say, yes, Lord. That's what trusting God is about. And the promise is for those who do that, for those who seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, all that they need for life and for mission, all that they need for today and for the mission of God will be given to them. It will be granted to them. That's the promise. And for those who truly depend upon God, he will provide. Church family, I don't know how old this is going to end. I don't know how this is going to affect us moving forward. I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know when we're going to be able to come back together as one body and worship in this room together. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what holds to, what, what tomorrow holds. But I know the one who does hold tomorrow. And I'm trusting him with all my heart. And I'm encouraging all of you to do exactly the same thing. Let me pray for you.
You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.